the Lord of the harvest. Amen. How many have been enjoying this sermon series on the harvest? Sunday was absolutely awesome. Thank God for the ministry gifts that were on display, demonstrating their love for the Lord. We had a dance. We had a massive pulpit that was a coffee table that ended up being an altar. Only at the gathering place you could start with a massive piece of wood. Um, praise God that eventually became an altar. And we thank God for the, uh, for the ministry gifts that was present. And so we want to continue in our series, The Lord of the Harvest. Uh, and uh, turn to Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles, please. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 2. I'll read from the King James translation of the of the Bible. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord of the harvest. We began this sermon series and those who are watching via Facebook and for those who will be watching this message and those who will be hearing this message. We have been on this journey in the month of November entitled Harvest. In a few more days, I mentioned earlier that you'd be with family and friends, celebrating, eating turkey, or other various meals that we put on the plate. And it is my prayer that it would be a time of celebration, a time of rejoicing, because of the goodness of God in your life. How many of you know that God is a good God. God is a merciful and a wonderful God. And to try to understand Him would take all of eternity. That you could never get to a place of where you fully understand God where you can say, I passed that course in Godology, if that's such a subject. <laughs> that every year. It is my hope, and I believe it's your desire, that you would know more about God this year than you did last year. And I mentioned earlier again that though the world looks at the calendar that begins in January 1st, it is my um, understanding that we should really look at it from Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving. Because through the 12 calendar years of which we look at to guide our schedule and where we spend the one thing we will never be able to get back is time. I think we need to live as people who are thankful to God no matter what the circumstance or the situation is. That takes tremendous faith as Teresa was talking about. It takes tremendous faith for you and I to look at life and to see that there are challenges and yet we can still say, God is good. It takes a tremendous amount of faith to do that. How many know that you need to grow in your faith? Someone say amen. amen. The Bible tells that the just shall live by faith. That we shall live by faith. We should live by faith. And so to receive the word of the Lord this morning and look at the harvest, it requires us then to live by faith and knowing not only the law of the harvest, the principles, the universal principles. And the principle of the harvest or the law of the harvest is for everyone. It is the law that God 
established when Noah came out of the ark. And yes, it was a historical event that took place. I have to emphasize that because it wasn't just a story of some theory, but it was an actual historical event that changed the world. There really was a flood. There really was an ark. And so God then, in his mercy, when they came out of the ark, established a principle for the nation. And he said, as long as the earth remains, there will be sea time, and then there will be harvest. In between the sea time and the harvest, there is something called patience. There is something called patience that is needed because we know the principle is at work. And if we get anxious and we uproot that which has been planted, we will never be productive and we would wonder, does the law of the harvest work? And it does work. It does work. And so we understand that not only does it work from a, 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 a people who live from an agricultural perspective, it also works for us as human beings that, that if you want to change your harvest, you have to change your seed. We talked about that a little bit. That we must watch our confession. We must watch what we say. Your words are powerful. Very, very, very powerful. I heard a story one time, um, or this, this survey, or this test, excuse me, that they did, was that they, they had this individual show how powerful words are, that they would walk up to somebody and say, man, you don't, you don't look too good. You some look like something's wrong. He goes, no, man, I feel fine. What are you talking about? I feel great. I feel strong. The next person comes and says, no, man, you really don't look good. You look like something's going on. And the person says, no, I feel great. What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong. And then the third person came. And after, after the tenth person came, that individual was starting to feel sick and starting to embrace what people were saying to them. Why? Because words have power. Because if you allow those words to come, it will produce a harvest. So if it works in the negative... If it works with the devil's lies that he speaks over you and I. How much more if we speak God's word over you can that build you up in your most holy faith. That can encourage you to stand firm in the things of God. So our confession is vital to our harvest. To our harvest. To our harvest. And so gathering place, family, friends, those who are with us, please watch what you say. Watch what you say God in his creation would speak and then watch come on he would speak and he would watch and he said it was good because it came from him and so the law of the harvest says speak and watch and says it is good because there's all good things in James comes from the father so a harvest that is good comes from God. And a harvest that's not good, not according to the word of God, didn't come from God. Don't receive it because it will corrupt your life. The law of the harvest is vital. How many know the law of the harvest works? Come on, somebody. It does. It does. You've been the recipient either of it negatively or you've been the recipient of it positively. Uh-huh. The law of the harvest. 
And then we recognize that because Adam sinned, and after Adam and Eve sinned, it just corrupt and changed everything. But God now, God loves his harvest. That God loved us so much that he brought healing. He brought Jesus, who was the healer, who came and healed the harvest. He healed the harvest. He healed the harvest. Thank God for that. That he healed the harvest. And you and I are a recipient of that. And now today, we want to look at something called the Lord of the Harvest. And we want to see, as we end, the difference a year can make. In your notes, I want you to take some notes. It says, the difference a year can make. When you understand that He is the Lord of the Harvest, you will see what difference a year can make. Just being in the presence and listening to the Lord will change your life. And your harvest next year will be greater than your harvest this year. I believe that with everything in me. I absolutely really believe that with everything inside of me. And so here now he begins in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 2. And he says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Who appointed the 70? The Lord did. He looked around and he says he appointed 70 others. And he says to them, he sent them two by two. He didn't send them by themselves. He sent them two by two. Partnership. Relationship. He gets the 70 and he sends them two by two. And it says there, before his face or before his presence into every city. So watch it now. So God then... The Lord says, I select you, I select you, and I send you now before my face into every city. So in other words now, when you enter a city, you bring the presence of the Lord there because you were in his face. So in other words, you come with something to offer. You come with something that's going to make a contribution. Because you were appointed by the Lord. And he sends you two by two. The Bible says one shall chase a thousand, but two shall put ten thousand to flight. So he gives you a a partner. He gives you somebody who can encourage you on your journey. It's like on the road to Emmaus when, when, when he resurrected and all things were just going all over. It says two were walking together and Jesus then shows up in the midst of it. See, there's something about agreement. There's something about coming together that's amazing. As we were speaking and and talking, uh, Megan and I, one one of our intercessors says, you need to come in agreement now because what God is doing in your life now, there's a cause. There's a greater cause. Now you're pastoring and there's a greater cause. So you two have to come together now because God has appointed the both of you and given you assignment. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. And he goes on and he says into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he's now saying, I'm about to get there, but I'm sending you ahead of me. Just like John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, who was sent ahead to say, hey, prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. 
It's been years, Rowan. It's been years. And and to them, they kept hearing the prophetic promise. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to overthrow all the different rulers. And they got excited. They were were saying, yes, he's coming. He says, because you're the forerunner. Just like John the Baptist says, right? And so here it comes now because he's going to come. And he said, I'm sending you before I get there. Scope out the place. Get an assessment of what's going on. I've appointed you. So there's something you need to do. And we need to see from the eyes of God. Walk in your community and see what's going on. Look around and see what things are happening. Why? Because I'm going to share with you these four things of what is important to understand the Lord of the harvest. The four things that Jesus himself is doing. The work he's doing that you and I have to do. So he sends you ahead. He sends you before him. And he says, I'm coming. I'm coming. And then he said to them, here's why. Here's the motivation. Here is the Lord's MO. He says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And then he gives us one of the greatest assignments ever. He says, therefore, pray. Right there. He says, pray to who? The Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So there's two things we're looking at here. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. So there's a connection here that's taking place. Right? I pray to the Lord of the harvest. Okay, Lord of the harvest. The harvest is great. Send out laborers into the harvest. Now what kind of laborers do we want to be? This is going to be next Sunday's message, but let me just touch on it here for a little bit. When we notice he appointed the 70 others, we can go to the Old Testament and we can see where Moses was called to lead a nation out of bondage. And so Moses now was given the assignment to take this nation out of bondage, out of Egyptian bondage, and he's supposed to lead the people. And as he's leading the people, his leadership style is one of management. Everyone's coming to Moses. If there's an issue, they come to Moses. If there's a problem, they come to Moses. If something's going, they came to Moses. Jethro says you can't survive in that type of management style. You will never be able to lead the multitude or lead the harvest if everyone's just coming to you. And so what happens now, Jethro said, you need to appoint, you need to select other people and give them delegate authority to handle some of the issues. I'm going somewhere with this. And so here it is now. He said, okay, fine. When there's a major issue, come to Moses. But any minor issues, I've delegated these individuals to be the one that's supposed to be able to solve your problem. That was the management style of Moses and Jethro. Jesus now broke that. And now we see in the same Old Testament, he says, that is still causing you frustration, Moses. The harvest is massive. It's God's harvest. There is no one on this planet that can love God's people like God. Because they'll get on your last nerve. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? I love my girls with everything inside of me, but there are days where I'm like, Lord, they belong to you. They belong to you, Lord. Because they caused me to pull out my hair. Well, it's already gone. But be sure I'm saying. So, so there are times to love people, you have to say, God, they belong to you. And there were times when Moses says, God, these are your people. Because they get on my nerves. In this management style. And so God says then to change it. Because I'm the Lord of the harvest. And he now says, as they're about to go to the promised land, God now says, not Jethro, God says, I'm changing your management style. And what you need, Moses, is not just to 
delegate authority. They need what's on you to be in them. And so he now says, I want you to select and bring them up. Come on, you got to go up. Bring these up to the mountain. And I'm going to take the spirit that's on you. And I'm going to put it on them. So it's not just the management. Come on. So wherever you go, Moses, and wherever they go, they're bringing Moses with them. And so here it is now that the Spirit of God came upon these 70s. They start to prophesy. They start to speak. They start to, guess what? Live by the Spirit of God. And if we're going to take this harvest that God has for us, we have to live by the Spirit. We're getting to a time and age where philosophy and the, and the opinions of men and the politically correct is starting to corrupt and the church is buying into it. Where we don't say certain things because it's offensive and we don't do certain things because it's offensive. Our lives should not be an offense, but our words will be offensive. i got to settle that with some people. Your life... Should not be an offense, but your words will be because when you speak the word of God in a culture that doesn't want to hear from God, it's going to cause offense. And so what happens now is this, you need to live by the spirit of God because wherever you go, we just read it, Jesus says, I'm about to come there as well. So in the natural, it can't be because physically, because Jesus in the body, Christ who took on the body, was, 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 was located to one place. Right? One place he was located. So if they were in Nazareth, he, and he was in Galilee, he was, it was relegated to one place because of the body. But because of the spirit, oh God, that's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, wherever you are now, the presence of God is with you. So right here we can say the presence of God is right here. It's right here. Right? And, and, so, and so here it is now that, 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 that the Spirit was on these 70s. And Joshua says, hey, 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 they're prophesying like you, Moses. And Moses now tells him, hey, are you jealous for me? Are you just because they're doing what I'm doing? No, no. We're partners in this thing. I wish they were all prophetic. Is what he said. Because this assignment, this harvest is so large that it's going to take more than just Moses. It's going to take more than just Joshua. It's going to take more than just Joseph. It's going to take all of us to operate in our assignment from God, what God has us to do. Does that make sense? It does. And so he says the harvest is great, but the labors are few. And he says, so pray for the labors in the harvest. So watch this now. Let's look at, at Jesus now, the Lord of the harvest. And we're going to see four things. That, that, that Jesus, as the Lord of the harvest, was, was doing, and it should be in our lives as well. Matthew chapter 9, uh, Matthew chapter 9, go there real quick, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and then verse 37 and verse 38. The, the New King James puts it this way, okay? So he said in Luke 10, he says, I want, I'm going to point you, I'm sending you two by two before my face, going to every city, every place, that I'm coming. And then we see what Jesus was doing when he got into the cities and the villages, what he was doing. And in verse uh, 35 of Matthew chapter 9, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. So we need teachers, right? Preaching the gospel of what? Of the kingdom. Not the gospel of the church. Uh Uh-huh. That's why you can always find a church that will believe in what you believe. Uh Uh-huh. But the gospel of the kingdom now, that's different. 
That's different. That kingdom of God, it's like this. When Jesus was on earth, he operated in the totality of the kingdom of God. And so, and, and so, what's this? Come here, real quick, real quick John. Come here, John. I'm going to be the kingdom of God. You're going to be kingdom of I'm the kingdom. Okay, so put your hand in a circle like this. So this is the kingdom of the earth. Okay, everybody can see that, right? When I saw this, someone preached it. It was amazing. And so what happens now is this: is what happened when Jesus operated in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. He went like this, boom. So His kingdom, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So He fully took the kingdom of heaven and put it over the kingdom of man and that's how he operated so when he preached the gospel he preached the gospel of the kingdom but he gave the church as the ambassadors to bring the kingdom in so the miracles and the grace and all the things we see in the scriptures is because he operated in the kingdom of God over here and man is trying to push away the kingdom of God He's trying to push away, but he says, nope, I'm the Lord of the harvest. Boom. And that's how he operated right here, is in the kingdom. So when we operate in the kingdom, we'll see the things that Jesus did happens in our lives. Thank you, John. So what we preach then, we don't preach the gospel, we preach the gospel that Jesus preached. So it's not just the good news, it's the authority of the kingdom that Jesus preached, is what we need to look at. And that's what he came to preach. And that's what got the religious folks so upset. Because the kingdom of God will always upset the religious folks. Even in charismatic churches. That when God starts to move in, ooh, I didn't know it was going to be like that. I'm out of here. Right? Because here it is. He wants to be Lord of all. Or he's not Lord at all. So his kingdom come. My kingdom come. And here's why we need it. The kingdom comes, and here is why he came to bring the kingdom. As we continue to read on, he says, preaching the gospel of the king and healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. That's what sin did. That was the, the law of the harvest. Sin did this. It was sin that brought the sickness. It was sin that brought people with, with, their, with their, their, their sickness and, and disease and, and all the things that were happening. It was because of sin. And Jesus comes in now. And then in verse 37 he says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord that you send out laborers in, into the harvest. Okay? Into the harvest. Now watch this now. The NIV puts it this way, which is really interesting. He says, And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So we have sickness and disease. The NIV puts it now that he came to heal every kind of disease and illness. Okay? Let's look at what the Message Bible says. The Message Bible says he came to heal their bruised and hurt lives. So in the King James thing, I don't understand the King James language. He brings it in the Message Translation. And the Message Translation just says he came to heal their bruised and hurt lives. And so my children were younger and they would, they would bruise something. They would run, mommy, daddy, please come and heal my bruise. And you would just give it a little kiss. And everything was okay. And they'd go back playing again. Come on, somebody. And so when we are bruised and when we need healing, we come to daddy. It says, daddy, I need healing. I'm bruised and my life is hurt. I need you. Yeah. Yeah. He says it's in the kingdom that he can do that. To heal their bruise and their hurt lives. And you and I know people like that out there. 
It doesn't matter whether you're wealthy. It doesn't matter whether you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you're black. It doesn't matter whether you're white. And let me just get on that for a minute here. Since you already asked. Come on, somebody. The Bible never identifies us based on a skin color. Never. It identifies us on a land. Because if you hold something that's black, it, it, what? no one even looks like that. What are you talking about? So what we've been doing by identifying by color is we've been creating the division we're trying to heal. So we're confused. And we wonder why people's lives are being bruised and hurt. It's based on the land. They identify you as a land. I remember I went to one guy and he said to me, he says, Rowan, um, there is no country as far as, I remember, call black. So when you say you're, you're, you're black, what country is that? There's no country. That's white. It's a land. You came from a land. You came from the earth. You came from, from the earth. And, 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 and as a result of that, um, that's how the Bible identifies you. As a human race. Stay with me here on this. Watch this now. Watch this now. So what God is saying, identify with the land. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, Lord, talk to me. And he says, Rowan, it's a commercial break for something I'm working on. So I appreciate you taking this commercial break. (laughs) It's not squirrel. It's commercial break. Okay. So I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, God, all this division going on. And I said, God, talk to me. He says, well, Rowan, remember? Remember when you got saved? I said, yeah. And you remember when you were so excited? Yeah. And I sent you out. I said, yeah. And you went to talk to your friend? I said, yeah. And you told him that you gave your heart to the Lord and he says, okay. And he goes, what, what religion is it? And you're like, I don't know. It, I, I went to youth camp and they told me to give my heart to Jesus. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, are you seven day? Are you Baptist? Are you this? Are you that? I'm like, I don't know. The bus we were on said Church of God. That's what the bus said. <laughs> and we meet in a school called Porter. So I have no idea what you're talking about. All I know is the dude preached and I gave my heart to Jesus I have no idea what you're talking about and the purpose of his probing was to see what religion I was following he said he found the white man's religion and I said what are you talking about and right from my conception in the kingdom the enemy was trying to take me out by racial divide based on the experience I had with Jesus at an altar the moment He was trying to bring division in there. And that's why I sent you two by two. So you won't be divided. When you send the message of the gospel of the kingdom out there. And the world has been successful through the media and through all the different methods have divided the world. Let it not divide the church. Not when we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It will not be divided. It will not be divided. Why? Because we've been appointed and signed by God. And so I'm working on this project, and I said, and he's like, okay, so, so Ron, remember when I, when I took you through the scriptures and I showed you all the people who are from an African descent, and they're in the Bible? And I said, yes. And remember I told you this? And I said, yeah. And I brought this. And I said, yeah. Now, now, now it's time to teach it. That was 18. I'm now 46 years old. That was when I was 18 years old. 
I'm now 46. I wasn't even in America yet. He goes, that's why I sent you to America. Because they called them African Americans. He says, two continents rolling. From Africa to America. He says, I want you to teach them and show the Africans the purpose I always had for them, bringing them to America. Because if we don't heal this thing of slavery, we'll continue to be enslaved. Right? If, if, we, if we don't understand that. And then we'll allow the spirit of racism to keep the divide. But when we understand God, help me Jesus, I didn't mean to preach this, but help me Jesus. But, but here's what he says, but the gospel of the kingdom, when it comes into the earth, breaks all of that. It breaks all of that. And it brings in a kingdom message now that people will know that yes, you were sent by God. You were sent by God. Because your MO is this. The harvest is plentiful and he's come to heal their bruised and their hurt lives. How many people's lives have been bruised because of racism, because of division, all this type of thing. And, and what's going on? And so we are the answer. And we will boldly proclaim this to every single individual. Those who are watching this thing, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not just a cliche. It's not just a statement. It is a fact. It is a reality. It is a principle that every devil in hell knows and recognizes that. And when we declare he is Lord, you break racism. You break the vision. You break everything. And you allow the kingdom of God to enter into. And they will see the harmony and the heart of God that everyone's looking for. Does that make sense? So my question is, will you be the church? Will you be the ambassadors to bring the message of the gospel of the kingdom into this world? That's our assignment. He's the Lord of the harvest. And so how does he do it? How does he do it? The first thing is this. If you're taking note, the first thing is this. And when I saw this, oh my goodness, this blew my mind. Jesus was led by the Spirit. You ever read that? Jesus was led by the Spirit. You read that, right? He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He came out of that temptation by the power of the Spirit to go and operate. We know that. He was led by the Spirit, and he came back in the power of the Spirit with the kingdom of God. In Luke 4, the Spirit of God is upon me, and he, and he does that. He's anointed me. He puts the scroll, and he goes down, and now he starts ministry. He starts ministry. And watch this now. He was led by the Spirit, and he came back in the power of the Spirit, but he did ministry with compassion. He was moved with compassion. They say he was moved by the, he was moved with compassion. And watch this now. So if you're led by the Spirit, praise God, you should be. And if you walk in the power of the Spirit, you should be. But ministry doesn't take place until there's compassion. Until there's compassion, because here's why. So he asked his father, Mark 9, 22, this father now has a child who's, who's possessed by a spirit. It's called an unclean spirit. Possessed this child. And Jesus walks up and this spirit, because the kingdom shows up, starts to convolt. Because another king, another authority is in place. And what happens now, Jesus says, how long has this been happening? And the father says, it's been happening from when he was a child. It's, the spirit takes him and does all this kind of stuff over with him. And then, and then the father says this now. And the father says, um, and oftentimes it throws him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can't do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. 
go right back to what I said earlier about it. He said, he came to heal the bruised and hurt lives. And here it was now that we see that this child and the father is desperate and he's crying out. He said, I know you are led by the Spirit. I know you operate in the power of the Spirit. But will you be moved by compassion? And so we have people, they say, man, I'm led by the Holy Spirit, yes, and I walk in the power of the Spirit, but they have no compassion whatsoever. He was moved with compassion. And he looks, because the Father says, if you have compassion, if you're willing, if you will have compassion on us and help my son and help me. Help my son and help me. He goes on, and and, and in uh, Matthew 9, 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He looks at it and he says now in Matthew 9 verse 36, the NIV says they were confused and helpless. And then the message Bible says his heart was broke because so, they were confused and they were aimless. They, they were like sheep without a shepherd. What is he saying? Is that where compassion is missing, people will be what? People will be confused. People will be helpless. People will be weary. People will be scattered. People's hearts will be broken. People will be confused. People will be aimless. And in the midst of all of that, he says, be moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Can I break this word down for you in the Greek? This word compassion in the Greek didn't exist when this took place. So in other words, they were observing Jesus, right? They were watching him do something that was messing with their minds. They're like, oh my goodness, look at this compassion. And as the evangelists Luke and Mark were writing, they said, how can we write this word compassion? We're observing a behavior and there's no word in the Greek language to describe what we're seeing. Help me, Holy Ghost, to teach this thing. They were witnessing Jesus' compassion and they didn't have a word in the English, in the, sorry, the Greek language to describe what it was they were seeing. So they made one up. We have to make up a word to describe this phenomenon we're seeing right now. Because in our limited vocabulary, we don't have the word that we can write down to describe this compassion. And what that tells you and I is that when we're moving compassion, we'll do things that people cannot describe it because it's supernatural. Then when we remove the compassion, things will happen. People say, how did that happen? When we see reconciliation in marriage, reconciliation in homes, reconciliation, people say, oh my goodness, how did that happen? Compassion. Compassion. Because those hurts were real. I'm not minimizing those hurts. That pain was real. So here's why the church needs compassion. Because we're living in a culture where we're trying to be relevant, so we're compromising. No, we really are. We're compromising to be relevant. And we're allowing our convictions to go like this to the point where I don't know what conviction the church has anymore. I mean, come on, right? What conviction that separates us from the world? What what do we have for that? And so we have a group now, and I said this probably months ago. I said, here's the difference. See, see, when you, when you operate strictly, strictly from a place of, of, of compromising, and you operate simply from a place of, 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 of condemning that everyone's going to hell, and when you go at this, no one's going to hell, people are weary and they're aimless and they're confused. I go to one church, and they say, oh, live anywhere you want to, come on in. And I come over here and it says, oh, no, if you do you're going to do, this is going to happen to you. So people are aimless and they're confused. They don't know what's going on. What the church is supposed to be is compassionate right in the middle. That we understand the struggle and we deal with it compassionately. But we also understand the sin and we deal with that compassionately as well. And so compassion puts you in the middle and it causes you now to not be corrupt by both corruption 
and by con- condemning something. Does that make sense? So we live a centered life in the cross of Christ. Oh gosh. Live a life that's centered right in the middle. Not so much to the right. Not so much to the left. Not so much to the elephant. Come on. Not so much to the donkey. Oops, did I say that? Right here in the center. Oops, sorry. sorry my, my, my bad. You can't say that. Right here, center on Christ. That's where the kingdom resides. Right here. So then we can say, come into the kingdom. The harvest is plentiful. Come into the kingdom because the harvest is plentiful. Because I'm conservative on one thing, but I'm also liberal on nothing. Come on, somebody. Come right into the middle. Because to be liberal means to be generous, means to be given. And to be conservative means to protect and to promote. Come on. So i got to come right in the middle and be centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't bring that spirit in here. Come right here, center. Because you're confused, you're aimless, you're weary, you need help, compassion. On the cross. On the cross. Come on. Right there. Right there. Oh, but some people are taking the cross from their churches. Oops. And so they don't know where they're going. And so they need compassion. They need compassion. Does that make any sense? So this word in the Greek, Spurgeon said this. He said the original word is a very remarkable one. It is not found in classic Greek. It is not found in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Bible. The fact is, it was a word coined by the evangelist himself. They didn't find one word in the whole Greek language that suited their purpose. And therefore, they had to make one up. It is the expression, it's the expression or the expressive of the deepest emotion. It really means a striving of the bowels, a yearning of the innermost nature with pity. In other words, this compassion gets right down to your belly. It's to the bowels. It's right to that place of when you see injustice. Something on the inside of you gets to move where you say, Daddy, I need help because this hurt is so painful that it can't just come my own natural ability. I've got to dig deep. Someone say, go deep. I've got to go deep into this hurt. I've got to go deep and have compassion, it says. Compassion. The Lord of the harvest, he begins with compassion. He says in Matthew 15, verse, verse, verse 32, in Matthew 15, he says, he, he, Jesus calls the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and have nothing to eat and I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Lest they faint on the way. So he said, I have compassion on the multitude. Why? Because I cannot leave them like this in that condition. So let's feed them. Let's feed them. It says in Luke chapter 7, verse 12 and verse 16. He comes to the gate of the city. Behold, a dead man is being carried out, the only son of his mother. Now we're going to switch from compassion to the other thing that Jesus did, which is so powerful. This really messed me up. We may have to probably end with this one. This one messed me up. Just now the gate of the city. They're having a funeral. They're bringing the body of this young man. And he specifically identifies. He says she's a widow. And this son is the only son that she has left. And now he has died. And it says here now in Luke chapter 7. As we look at verse number. Um, let's look at verse number 12. Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, verse 13. When the Lord saw her. He had compassion on her and said to her. Do not weep. Back the bus up here. Do not weep. My condition is getting worse. I'm a widow. Okay. And now my only son is dead. And you, sir, 
Everybody else is wailing, and you're telling me not to weep? What makes you so different? Why don't you join the line like everybody else, and let's just do what I'm accustomed to see my harvest is. My harvest is this, and we're going to continue in this harvest. My, my husband's gone, and, and, and now my son is gone. He's my only son. So get in line like everybody else and stop trying to stand out. But there was something different about Jesus. He was moved as what? He said, stop the procession. Stop the movement. And there are churches on Sunday that all they do is have a funeral every single Sunday talking about the loss. And Jesus wants to show up and like, just get in line. Okay? And this is my harvest. This is my harvest. And they have a woe is me every single time. Huh? Woe is me. But Jesus says, stop now. And he did something that was unheard of. He touched the coffin. It wasn't that he was just moved with compassion. But he also, he also touched. You have to understand the religious mindset back then. It's a dead body. He's a priest. And he went and did something that was unheard of. He touched the dead body. <laughs> And so here it is now, they're having this funeral. He says, stop. And he was moved with compassion. And he says, stop. And he touches the coffin and says to the son, rise up. Rise up. Kid comes up and brings it back to his mother. And says, you will suffer loss no more. Not when the kingdom of God shows up. Not when the kingdom of God shows up. And so what God wants to do is help us understand the power of the resurrection. And then when you walk into a church that's full of compassion, you see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ operate. I don't care what is dead in your life. He's able to resurrect it. Come on, somebody. He's able to resurrect it. And I'm here to tell you that even when they go in the grave, there's a resurrection one day coming. Come on, somebody. That even death itself can't hold you back. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Come on, somebody. That even the Apostle Paul knows that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when the resurrection power of God, I'm preaching this thing, show up in a church, resurrection will take place. Revival will break out. Come on. Relationship will be restored. Why? Because compassion has showed up to give you direction and to give you purpose. Clap your hands. Clap your hands for Jesus. Yes. Yes, indeed. And so the second thing is this now. We end with this. Is that compassion brings now to you by him touching, by Jesus touching the coffin. He was, to the religious people, unclean, unclean. You just defiled yourself by touching something that was dead. The law states now, unclean, unclean. The Bible said, watch this now. So now we're going to move from compassion to clean. From compassion to clean. And Jesus is clean. What I mean by that is he's perfection. He's pure. He is absolutely 100% clean. The Bible says there was no room in him for the enemy to even do anything. He was so full of the kingdom, so full of God, that there was no room for the enemy to even, there was not even a crack. He was so clean in how he operated and how he flowed. 
And so here it was now that when he touched, he says, unclean, unclean. The Bible talks about a leopard. And if you had leprosy, a skin disease that you walked on the flesh, you had to tell everyone as soon as you walked, unclean, unclean, excuse me, unclean. And some of us, because of what the enemy has done to us and, and what we have allowed in, we walk around, we don't physically say it, but we walk around saying, unclean, unclean. I'm, def- I'm clean, and we don't want to touch it now. The religious folks don't want to touch that because I'm clean. I'm clean. I can't touch it because if I touch you, then I'll become unclean. And so we leave them in the condition that they are because we don't have compassion. And we don't understand compassion. Because I said earlier, there was no word in the Greek language that they were able to, to, to describe what Jesus did. They said, I don't understand what he's doing. How is he able to touch something that's dead and yet still be clean? How can he do that? Because he was 100% God and 1% man. And we have a high priest who can sympathize with our infirmities. That he was tempted in all points like, but without sin. And so because of his compassion, he's able to minister cleansing. He was the original Mr. Clean. Come on, somebody. He was the original Mr. Clean. And what he cleans, he cleans your flesh. So the person with leprosy says, hey, can you, can, 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 you, can you make me clean? And look what he said with the leper here in Mark chapter 1. He says, have compassion. Jesus says, I'll have compassion. Stretch out your hand. He says, you're clean. He says, you're clean. You're clean. He also cleans our filthiness. Because in Isaiah 64 verse 6, he says, but we are all like unclean things and all our righteous are like filthy rags. The King James was polite. The word filthy rags meant menstrual cycle. The, the cloth from when after woman finished with her period and she would have it. That's how he described our righteousness. So the greatest thing we can do, God says, that's like a menstrual rag. He says, you need my righteousness because I'm the one that's able to live clean. And so when I came to know Jesus and I was said, I can't get saved now because I love reggae music. I can't get saved now because I have all these things I'm doing. Let me first stop doing those things. Then I'll come to you, God and God. You never stop doing those things with your own righteousness because the greatest thing you can do, Rowan, menstrual cycle. In front of me. You're you telling me, God, it has to be all you? It has to be all me. It has to be all me. He says, I can make you clean. I can make you clean. I can make you clean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He can make us clean. Yes, he can, because he's the Lord of the harvest. And so he wants to be able to look at someone and see their filthiness, but see Christ through that and say, I'm going to love you through that. I'm going to love you through to be clean. He also says in Ezekiel 36, he says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, verse 25, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. 
So, so if the priest, if they touch a dead body, they have to cut a bull, a heifer, and they have to sprinkle the blood all over. And that's what it, it was called, the purification, the water purification, the cleansing. There was all this ritual thing that they had to do every single time they had to do that so they could become clean. It was an excruciating amount of thing they had to do just to be clean. They had to get the animal, do the blood, do the sprinkling, all of that just because, oops, I touched a dead body. And it was the way they're supposed to be. But then Jesus comes on the scene now. And he says, no, I'm going to sprinkle my blood all over you. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? On the cross. It, 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 it was the blood on the cross. That's what makes you clean. And he says, come now. Come to the cross. Come to the place of cleansing. Come to the place of cleansing. It's only the cross. And that's why we have to be centered in the cross. He now goes and... And he not only deals with the flesh, with the leprosy, he not only deals with the filthiness, but he also now deals with the feet. He deals with the feet. Here we end with this. Remember I told you what a difference a year can make? He now goes to the feet. And he moves from the flesh, he moves from the filthiness of the heart, and he now moves to the feet. And they come together for dinner, and Jesus now takes the towel, he takes off his garment, and he washes their feet, and he says, you're all clean. He says, you're clean. He's doing an act. He says, let that sink in. Jesus now is with these 12 disciples. And he's saying to them, you are now clean because the words I've spoken. He speaks the word. He says, you're clean. Just based on the word. He says, you're clean. He speaks his word. You're clean. And so then, and so then Peter goes, no, 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 no. There's no way. You're not going to wash my feet. He says, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of me. He says, wash everything. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. Only your feet needs to be clean. Because when you bathe already, walking through the desert, walking through the, 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 the environment, your feet would get all, you know, with the dust and everything like that. And you couldn't sit down and have fellowship with dirty feet. Right. And he says, now, I need to clean your feet. Because here's why. Here's why. Because it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to send you out to preach the gospel. Back to Luke 10. I appointed you as 70 to go out. But you got to go out with clean feet. Your walk is important. Because if your worship is connected to God, your feet will go where your worship goes. Your feet will go where your worship goes. And so here it is now. We end with this. Why must we take this message of the gospel of the kingdom? Thank you, Father, for ending this way. Why must we take the message of the kingdom to everybody? And we have been teaching this. We have been teaching this. We have been teaching this. The difference a year can make. The difference a year can make. From thanksgiving to thanksgiving to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And here's what Jesus did. Not only did he clean us by dying on the cross and taking away the sin. Not only he did that by showing compassion to us. Here's what he really did. Here's what he really did. He gave us a clean conscience. Because here's why. Can I explain this? And as we we launch with this. Oh, he's the Lord of the harvest. In Hebrews 10, verse 1 and 4, it says, For the law, Hebrews 10, verse 1 and 4, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and that the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices 
which they offer continually, ready for this? Year by year by year by year by year. In 2015, they would have to go to the altar, bring the animal, get the animal, bring the whole family. Come on, guys. And they would go, and the priest would take the animal, and he would put the animal on the altar, and it would burn, and he would wash himself and do all the ceremonial things. And say, okay, good, you're clean for a year. And they would go back out again and have to do it again in 2011. They would have to come back in again in 2011 and do the same thing again. And they would go back out again in 2012. They have to go back again. Aren't you exhausted? Aren't you tired? You have to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming year by year by year this was the only way they knew how to be clean that was the only way that they can have a relationship with God it was a sacrifice system that was set up every single year to make those who approached clean or what we call perfect for then would they not have acts would not cease to, to, to offer he's saying this question he's saying wouldn't they stop offering this thing if that was the answer? And here it is. For the worshiper, once purified, would have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. And when you live with a religious mindset or you live with a victim mindset or you live in a mindset of where, God, I'm, I'm trying to please you. It's not working. And you're trying to do it on your own. God is saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You're wearing yourself out. And when you leave this place to go before God's people, the harvest, tell them, stop it. If you want to be clean, stop it. Only God can make you clean. I hear this statement all the time. And someone who, who, who's addicted to drugs, they say, I want to be clean for this long. And I was clean only for this long. And I was clean only for this long. And the programs that they offer are awesome. You've got to work in partnership. But if they don't understand that they have a clean conscience, if they don't understand the power of the cross, they would think they could live clean in their own strength. And they'll constantly try to be clean. A friend of mine, he was addicted to crack. And he was clean for a while. And then a friend, someone put, put, put it in his pocket. He, he was a believer. I remember I first came to America and I'm hearing this guy and he says, Rowan. And I would visit him and I said, hey, hey, where's so-and-so? And he says, he's not here anymore. He's not here anymore. I said, what happened? And they told me the story. I said, he, he was living clean. He was living clean. But somebody, somebody put, put something in his jacket. And he took it in and looked at it. And so, this year, this year, Rowan, he, he's no longer here anymore. What a difference a year can make. What a difference a year can make. When you understand, help me, Holy Ghost, try to convey what you're telling me in the spirit realm. Tell them to stop. Tell them 
to stop. No matter how much work you do, it's not going to work. It's His compassion. He's moved with compassion for you. And what you need to do is just to receive it. It says, I'm no longer going to be living this aimless, this confused, this weary life anymore. I'm not going to try to do it on my own strength anymore. God, if you can help me, have compassion. Have compassion on me and go after my son. Go after my daughter, God. Because only you can help them to live clean. Only you, God. Only you. And he said, then pray to the Lord of the harvest then. Pray like you've never prayed before in 2017. Every time you go to bed, every time you wake up, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Says, God, today, will this be the day where you will move with compassion on my child? Will this be the day you move with compassion and clean me up and clean my friend up? Because what a difference a year can make. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, Ryan? The religious system. This time, they came with their animal and they went to the temple. But this time, it says no. Not this year. The veil has been ripped. And no longer do you have to tie something around the priests. This year is different. What do you mean? I'm so accustomed to bringing something. No, just bring yourself. You be the living sacrifice and just lay yourself at the altar and watch God clean you up because He's moved with compassion for you. And that's all we have to do. We have to move with compassion. What a difference a year can make. With every head bowed, every eyes closed. This is your year. Thank you, Holy Ghost. This is your thanksgiving. This is your thanksgiving. Lord, clean that marriage up. Clean that mind up. Clean up. Clean us up. Clean us up, God. Clean us up by your compassion. Thoughts that are not pure, take them away, God. Things that we're doing, clean. Give me a clean conscience, oh God. said God these are your people you are growing the gathering place God people are coming and I said God these are your people and as long as we have compassion see here's what God wants to do this is next week's message he wants us to bear fruits of our compassion He wants to cultivate us so that we can live a clean life so others can come in. And he said, I'm growing the gathering place because I am the one that's appointing people. I'm the one that's sending people out to do ministry. You're clean. You're clean. Come on, you're clean. You're clean. As he's washing the feet, he says, you're all clean except one. But but that was Judas. He says, but but, but you're clean. You're clean. You're clean. You're clean. Tell yourself, I'm clean. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but look what you're doing. No, I'm clean. 
I'm clean. I'm clean. What a difference a year can make. I'm going to live clean this year, Lord. I'm going to live clean this year, Lord. Father, you might be here and you're the one that says, Pastor Roe, I'm the one. I'm the one that's aimless and confused. I came in this morning and I'm confused and I don't know what to do. God, through his son, just is moving with compassion right now. He's the Lord of the harvest. And so, and so he wants you to know. He wants you to know that he, yes, he's having compassion on you and you are clean. Lift your hands up if you're in this place and you're able to do that. Teresa, come in and get a mic. I want you to pray for us. I want you to pray for us. Pray a prayer of compassion. Pray as the Holy Spirit leads you. Father, we just thank you that your heart longs for us. That there's a stirring in the spirit where you pour out for us compassion. And Father, for those that have believed lies about you and your heart, Father, just pray for the light of your truth, the light of your compassion. Lord, for every lie, every lie that says that you're not a good father, that I have to do. Your heart is perfect towards us. It's perfect. And your heart longs for us to embrace your goodness. Father, I ask that you just pour compassion into our hearts, God. That we receive your compassion and that we move in compassion as well. Your heart grieves for those who don't know you. Your heart grieves for those who don't understand the love of a father. Compassion is power. It's power. There it is. It's power. Help us just receive it, Lord. Receive the compassion of God. Allow the compassion of God to flow through us. That we can touch lives like you did, moved with compassion. 
not judgment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the longing of your heart for us. The longing of your heart. Your perfect Father's heart. is one. Now walk in the victory. In Jesus' name. Greet someone and tell them this is my year. As you go, God bless you.